0: From the center of the universe and the home of your Grey Cup champion, Toronto Argonauts, it's
1: the X's and Argo's
0: podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argo's pregame walkthrough brought to you by Something in the Water Brewing. Ben Grant joined as always by JB as we get you set for the Toronto Argonauts and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in the second last week of the regular season. This episode, as all our episodes this season are, is brought to you by uh, Something in the Water Brewing. And I want to tell you a little bit about Something in the Water Brewing and Longboat Pale Ale. And actually, as I'm doing that, it occurs to me I haven't even poured myself a Longboat Pale Ale. So I will do that as we are going along. And I'll, maybe I'll steal a page out of the Argos FanCast. Uh, playbook and and open this in front of the mic because it's a gorgeous sound. So something in the water is located in Liberty Village. Longboat Pale Ale is a beer that is named for fans of the Double Blue. It is my absolute favorite can. Uh, in uh, of, like I'm I'm a beer can guy. I like looking at beer cans. I enjoy uh, looking at what's what's written on them, the designs, the logos, everything else. There is no better can than the Longboat Pale Ale can. It's got the X's and O's. It's got Colonel Troutman wearing his Argos hat uh, and, of course, the double blue design. So there is a beer named for your favorite football team. You should go out and get it. Longboat Pale Ale in Liberty Village. And now I've got my Longboat in my uh, Colonel Troutman uh, beer mug here. All right, JB, we've got a lot to get to today. We've got uh, Corey Mace being extended, which happened after we recorded our last episode, so we got to talk about that. The home season is finished for Toronto, and we have the numbers. The attendance is up, and actually significantly up. We'll get into that too. Then we want to talk about our strategy over the last two weeks of the season. What would I do? What would JB do? With two games left to go, we know the games don't mean anything in the standings, so what would the strategy be? Then we'll get into injuries from the week, the game preview, OCDC, one thing predictions, put me down for 20 and our CFL picks. All that and more is coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. JB, let's hit this Corey Mace extension. So uh, this is huge news for Toronto. Now, it it doesn't guarantee anything. And I just want to be clear on that because I, I know there was a lot of, there's a lot of relief and, and rightly so there should be. Uh, this doesn't preclude him from being able to get head coaching jobs elsewhere. And so uh, that could still happen, but let's just talk about him staying in Toronto first. JB, this is obviously a a huge extension for the Toronto football team in terms of the coaching staff.
1: Yeah. I mean, it makes sense in some sense. It's kind of bookkeeping, but uh, you know, they could have let him let it run out. Clearly they want to keep him. That's a priority. Um, I do think he is going to be in demand, of course, a team that that has a defense that plays as well as the Argos. Uh, I think he might even have somebody whispering in his ear this weekend.
0: <laughs> well, I, and I think there's there's like a really good article that you should read, uh, written by Mike Hogan on the Argonauts website, uh, right after the signing, he sort of talked to, uh, uh, about this extension and what it means my sense from this and i haven't talked to i haven't talked to coach mace about this but my sense in listening to what he's had to say is that he's only going to leave to be a head coach in the perfect situation now perfect situations are hard to find as a new head coach cuz teams that are in a perfect situation <laughs> aren't often getting rid of their current head coach so they're they're bringing them back and so maybe this is a while and the thing is he's he's got this a great deal in Toronto. He's got a nice situation in Toronto, a good team. Um, He's respected. He's known. And he could keep being the defensive coordinator for a while if he wants to and wait and pick and choose. And it's not like there are going to be a lot of teams looking for new head coaches next year I I don't see very many like earlier in the season I might have thought so there was a time where I thought Hamilton might be in the market for a new head coach Uh, right now as it stands you know are we talking about Ottawa are we talking about Saskatchewan like it, it that's probably it that's probably at most like I think at most we're looking for for two and I'm not sure either of those situations right now are situations that coach Mace would want to get into just based on what he was saying And I think he might have taken something from Coach Dinwiddie, because remember, Dinwiddie, we learned last year, actually, I think it was Great Cup Week, we learned last year that Dinwiddie had been given opportunities to coach in the NFL. He was given the opportunity to be a quality control coach, I think it was, with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He turned it down, because he didn't view it as a stable situation at the time. And so, and I think that was the right move. That whole staff was was gone after that year, basically. So, maybe he looks at at coach Dinwiddie's situation he's like i want i want something like this like i want something that's that's stable and secure what is i it mean that, i i going
1: i think saskatchewan is is you know i mean i i just think if you get offered saskatchewan in the cfl you're going to take it. it it it's the number 1 franchise in the league i i think you know in terms of fan support and you know the opportunity to 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 be sort of Hailed as a hero, um, I, I think the Saskatchewan job is too good to turn down. I think if he were offered the Saskatchewan job, uh, I think I'd, I'd be surprised if anybody were to turn that down. I don't think, you know, that necessarily they're they're loaded, but I mean, I I would take the Saskatchewan roster over uh, Calgary or or Edmonton. So I don't know. I I do think I do think that would be a pretty appealing job to anybody.
0: We both like Saskatchewan a lot more than most people seem to. <laughs> Certainly, most of our listeners seem to. It's uh, true, I. <laughs> I know we've we, we've got a lot of uh, incorrect I, I th- bets. I, but on if I were to
1: look into my crystal ball, I think I think there's a I think there's a more than decent chance that they reach out
0: to him. And then there's the other question of like, how many teams are really looking for a defensive head coach? Because that doesn't happen as often. It, it happens. You've got some, but more often than not, teams are looking for. I Really, they like, they like the quarterback whisperers as head coaches. That's that's the trend right now is to to bring in a quarterback guy uh, to to lead your franchise. But it doesn't mean that they won't go that direction. What is it that makes What is it that makes Corey Mace such a good defensive coordinator? Um. Well, I think a number
1: of things. I mean, I think that he he is incredibly inventive with his uh, his blitz uh, package. And he is really effective at at being able to to turn up heat when he needs to, but he's not so kind of, you know, you see those guys that are sort of known to be the blitz guys and they're bringing heat from everywhere. Like he's not so dogmatic like that. Like he he's a very kind of flexible guy. He doesn't have uh, an obvious kind of um, trademark. You know, which i which I think is really interesting. I really appreciate that that he is that he he is able to bring heat, but he's not a guy who just believes in bringing heat at all times. Um, so he he is able to be flexible and game specific. And I really admire that
0: I think he's so well-rounded with what he can do now he's also got a great support staff with him. I love the the positional coaches that he's got under him, but, but he's his defense includes, and it's it's like what you're saying though, too. Like it's it's the blitz packages, it's the it's the coverages. I, I love how well they disguise everything. That for me, that's my favorite thing. And I know part of that is is the players, part of that's in in Coach Fields, Coach Bell. But it's gotta come from Coach Mace at the top. I don't know if I've ever seen a Toronto defense disguise blitzes as well as this team does. They disguise coverage well too, but I really love how they disguise their pressure. And he being a defensive line guy has a big role in that too. And he's he's willing to take chances with that defensive line and do some different things. And for me, like every week, I feel like he takes away the one thing that you... I really want to do on offense. He takes that away and he does it in a way that you weren't expecting him to do it. And that, for me, um, is big. But the biggest thing above all else is that his players love playing for him. Every single guy on that defense loves playing for Coach Mace. If, if you knew nothing else, like that would be enough to, uh, to take a second look. And of course, he's got a lot more than that, that as well. Um, but yeah, he's, he's loved and adored in the in the Argos room. And, uh, and that that means something. And he's also been through it, you know, to win not only two great cups as a coach, win a great cup as a player. Um, he's, he's been through it. He gets, he gets the, the process. He knows what it takes to win. Um, he can talk to the guys and they know that, that there's, there's weight in it. Uh, and so, you know, for me, I think that's, that's a lot of what I like about him. Uh, and I think he is the best defensive coordinator in the league right now. And so guys like that typically don't last too long. When you are the best offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator in the league, somebody's going to want you somewhere uh, to be a head coach. That's just how it works. Now, the other possibility is, do you think there's any chance after the season's done, suppose suppose Toronto gets to or wins another Grey Cup, do you think there's any chance the NFL comes calling for Coach Dinwiddie, which might open up the perfect situation for Coach Mace in Toronto? uh
1: that's a great question i um there's not a lot of movement between the cfn and nfl coaching um you know i think we've we've talked about the kind of anti-cfl bias that sometimes exists in the nfl or seems to exist for a lot of teams um because i think there are a number of players in the CFL currently who could be very effective in the NFL if they were given an opportunity, but there seems to be a bit of a stigma there. Um he, I think it's possible that he gets a look as a quarterback coach uh for a team. I think that um you know obviously Kelly being here is going to ring bells with some Americans and that'll have him more on the radar than than a normal CFL coach would. Um so I do think it's, it's possible that he gets offered a quarterback job. Um, and, you know, if you're able to become a quarterback coach in the NFL, like that's that's probably worth trying for. I think if if your goal is to to keep kind of moving up the chain. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's possible, but not likely. I, I still think there's not a lot of movement between the two, and, and I still think the NFL kind of, you know,
0: you look at Rourke, I think the NFL still kind of looks down his nose at the CFL, to be honest. And it has happened before. It's, it's happened a few times with Argos coaches, but uh, it, it's not like it, it's a yearly thing, especially to a position that we're talking about, like coach when he's not leaving to be, um, to be a, an advisor or to be a quality control coach. I don't even know if he'd leave to be a quarterback's coach, honestly. I, I think it might take uh, something like like did Tresman Tresman went right into the OC position? I think it's something like think that. So. Like like, like I, that's I, what
1: I think. I think he'd
0: been. An NFL coach prior, no? Yeah. So he had had a lot of ties. Uh, let me just look that up while we're talking about that. But yeah, trust he, me was that,
1: very, he was definitely very juiced in, though.
0: Yeah. Like, he, I think he was on like eight or nine teams before he got to the CFL or something like that. Like, he knew it. Like, not that Dinwiddie doesn't have NFL contacts. He does. He has guys that he has worked with before, That guys that he's played with before, actually. Um, and so there are ties he's got. The football world is a pretty small one in that sense. Yeah, trustman, Yeah, we work for it But like, I mean, like that's the nature of before the CFL.
1: For sure, I mean, it's the nature of football. I mean, I think other sports too, but I think more so in football is you often pay for success with being rated, uh, which is what makes maintaining success so difficult. Uh, because when you are really successful, everybody comes and takes everything that's not tied down.
0: And Trustman actually, yeah, he went right to the Bears head coach. That's right. That's right. That's I'd forgotten it was right to head coach, not right to OC. He yeah, went right well. from Montreal and his success in Montreal right to Chicago, uh, and that wasn't that wasn't the the best thing ever.
1: No, um, I mean that's the kind of thing. I mean, unfortunately,
0: that's the sort of thing that gets held against all CFL coaches. So uh, for me, again, this is a, we've, you know, we've probably moved on because we've talked about this a lot here, but it's, it's such a big deal because Mace is is fantastic to have him stay in Toronto and to have him say the things he said, you know, why leave a perfect situation when you've got everything you need right here or whatever the, I'm I'm, I'm paraphrasing what he said. Uh, but yeah, you should check out the, the article on argonauts.ca um, and uh, really take in the exact quotes from Corey Mace instead of my my version of them, because they're obviously far more accurate. Um but yes, yeah, it's, it's a huge, huge signing, huge extension for Toronto. But I think it was inevitable. It's not like they were going to let him go uh, and make a lateral move anywhere else because he's been nothing but fantastic since he arrived. Attendance was up significantly. There's only three teams that have finished their home schedules. Attendance is up uh, across the board so far. Toronto's improvement was big, so... Looking at last season, Toronto averaged by my calculations here. These are just my math numbers here, uh, but I'm assuming I'm assuming they're right. Maybe that's a mistake. Eleven thousand nine hundred ninety nine. They averaged last season. This season at home, and this, these are just BMO Field games. I'm not counting TD Atlantic. Uh, this season at home, fourteen thousand six hundred and fifty five and so that is up 2656 people per game on average that is a 22% increase that is massive as an increase um good and bad from this jb what do you what are you seeing from this initially
1: uh you, you, well i i think it's it's great to see um improvement you know i mean it it uh it it, fe- it does feel um you know, like, it's nice to see that those numbers match what it looks like. It feels like there are more people there. Obviously, having Chad Kelly, we talked about having a star is something that Toronto wants. Um, obviously, being the second best or best team in the league, uh, translating into increased attendance. You know, that's a, that's a big where's jump. This, where's I think.
0: the second best talk coming from?
1: <laughs> I right, Look. I I still I still did not see the heavyweight fight, you know. So I understand why they didn't play Winnipeg, but I I can't just put them above Winnipeg without without that. Okay, continue. Um, yeah, no, I I mean I think it's fantastic. Obviously, that uh, MLSC has to be happy that there is a return on their investment and that this is kind of building. Obviously, uh, Pinball and the the executive group have to be really happy with. With the work that they've been doing, because they're clearly putting in work in terms of different nights and reaching out to the community and getting people in at halftime um, from the community, there's clearly a, a a program at work to to get the Argos profile raised, and you know that has to be um, really encouraging to them that there's a concrete improvement.
0: Yeah, and this is not like this is clearly a plan. Like we we can see it, and you're right. There is a difference at, at the field. Every game we go to, we can tell. There's a difference from this year to last year. The it's it's louder, it's busier. It's it's it's,
1: it's amazing what the difference between 10 and 14 is, and then of course come the 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 AFC, the uh, the Eastern Final. What did, even even 18 19 to 14 like 18 19 feels like 30.
0: Yeah yeah in that in um, that, in that if, building if,
1: you know it's amazing it's, yeah, it's not like the sky' where like you could add two and it didn't matter like like it's it's such a it's such a nice manageable goal because if you add uh two thousand people and you try and add another two like it has a real impact on on the
0: noise level and the general vibe yeah I know for sure and and if and again just back to their plan there this is not just like carnival barkers like trying to sell tickets out there yelling, hey, come get your Argos tickets. There's a plan in place and we can see it starting to work. It is slow. And I think that's like, I saw a lot of negative feedback on social media this week when when people started doing the math on these numbers and looking at how much Argos attendance had gone up this year. And people are saying, well, are you, are you really proud of 14,000 plus in a, in a city of millions? And you can't look at it that way. Like if you're looking at it that way, then you're just trying to find things to be upset about uh, and nothing will please you. And I I don't know what to say, but the correct way to look at it is year over year. You're not going to turn this from a a 11,999 average into a 25,000 in a year. That just doesn't happen. A 22% increase is huge. If they can match that again next year, now we're talking about, an average attendance of over 17,000. And we know what that looks like from, from playoff games, from uh, some of those East finals that we've seen the last couple of seasons and are probably going to see numbers like that in this East final, if if not more. I know ticket sales are going really well for that, which is is awesome. And that's only going to increase once either Montreal or Hamilton win the game, because they're going to have some fans come in uh, as well. So yeah, this is this is going to be another amazing environment. And we know what that increase will look like. So there's just that much more incentive to to make that happen. But yeah, they're doing the right things. And the stuff they're doing is not temporary. It's long term. They have so many kids involved in the growth of the attendance program and this sort of initiative that they've made to generate more interest among uh, the youth in Toronto. And whether that's from dance teams that have come in and performed at halftime shows or from working with flag football programs and working with uh, camps and things that, like my own kids, have been to, and and they've been um, around a number of different Toronto Argonauts who have had initiatives going within our community, and so that stuff all it doesn't go away. Their impact is is noticeable. Uh, at the end of the day today, I stopped by my daughter's uh, school flag football tournament. They were just wrapping up, and she and her friends and their siblings we're all uh, excited and talking about uh, how we have to make sure we have tickets to these final. And that's a group of kids that are all elementary school age that are excited about going to a Toronto Argonauts game. And those are kids that wouldn't have been having that conversation a few years ago. So for me, this is this is all translating into all the arrows pointing up. Let's get into our rest versus rust plan, JB. So this is... The last two weeks of what has been a very long stretch, it feels almost off-season-like again sometimes in our in our podcast content week to week when uh, we're looking at uh, games that don't mean anything in the standings. These are the last two. And I think how Coach Dinwiddie handles these last two games is of huge importance. We saw last week what Coach Dinwiddie's plan was. Get Chad Kelly and the starting offense out there and try and have them look Good and perform at a high level, and I, I think clearly he wanted to get Davaris Daniels more involved. I wrote an article on that. If you want to check it out on Three Down Nation, you can you can check that out. Um, it's it's basically how Coach Dinwiddie schemed Davaris Daniels open and worked to get him involved because he'd been on a cold spell, only with one reception in each of his in three of his last four games, and so there was some attention to getting him the football. So if you want to read that, that's on Three Down Nation, but. What has to happen over these next two weeks to continue this? Like, do you, is that it now? Do you take everyone out? Do you play everyone for the last two weeks because you got a first round buy? What's your strategy, JB?
1: Uh, I I think similar to what they've been doing. um, uh, I I like the exhibition game kind of model. Play your starters for a half, uh, see how it's going. and, uh, And then transition to, to the bench. I know there's a desire among the starters. It's harder to do because the starters want to win and they want to keep kind of adding to their record. So that that's not easy for coach to do. I know that there'll be a lot of pushback, especially from, I think from, from Chad Kelly, uh, if they try to pull him, if they're not kind of comfortably in the lead, but I appreciate the attempt to To try and just go with the key starters for a half, and then maybe let uh, let twos get some run in the second half, and then for the final game, I would I would try and go with as few few number ones as as possible under under the cap. I would really that's kind of the traditional last game off. I would I would probably revert back to that, and I I do think there's going to be some push and pull in the Saskatchewan because I think there will be a push from the starters to to continue racking up wins in this kind of historic season versus the coaches who are not that concerned with what the end result of the game is. Um, So that'll, that's something I'm definitely going to be interested to watch because I, I I do think there'll be a push from the coaches to pull, to pull key people in the second half.
0: In your mind, do the Argos have any sort of responsibility to play their best against Saskatchewan. Like for people in Calgary that are saying, like, "Hey, don't don't rest your starters." Like that game means something to us. <laughs> no,
1: right? Of course, we've had this coming. Like, of course not, right? Like, this, this is this. You know, it's professional sports. Not it's not a it's not a team. Uh, it's not team sport. Ironically, you know, like everybody is out for themselves and everybody's doing what is best for their franchise, and and that's all that they are supposed to do. Like that's the <laughs> that's the only way sports works is you do what is best for your franchise, not what is the best for some team at West that didn't win enough games earlier in the season.
0: I'm not sure we're going to see the model that we've seen in the last two years, like the model that you're suggesting. I, I do think the Saskatchewan game will go the way you're describing. I think Chad Kelly's probably, and we don't know anything yet. Depth charts haven't been released yet. We're recording this late Wednesday night. And uh, we just have injury reports from from day one, day two of practice. But my guess is that we'll see Chad Kelly for a half, like you're saying. We'll see Cameron Dukes. And I do think we're actually going to see Brian Scott as well. I think we're going to see all three quarterbacks in this game. That would be my guess. What I would do is probably very similar to that, but I really want to have it balanced more over the last two games. Instead of the last week being rest everybody or rest as many guys as you can like they have each of the last two years I want to treat the last game the same as as this week's game because they've got that by a week rest and most of the guys have had a chance at some point over the last six weeks to rest so it's a bit different like last year they sat everyone out that last week because they had only clinched the week before and it was the same thing the year before that. Like they were, they were in a in a fight until the last uh, second last week of the season. So they only had one week to rest guys. This year it's been different, and so I don't want to rest a lot of guys at Ottawa. I think you play just as many guys at Ottawa as you do at Saskatchewan, and I think you go with that preseason model. Chad Kelly and the starters get a half. You work in Cam Dukes. You work in Brian Scott, um, and your priorities. They seem to have. Cam Dukes is the clear number two. And so I think your priority is to give Cam Dukes a little bit more time. And if you get into a situation like we saw a few weeks ago in Winnipeg where it's a ball game late, then you get Cam Dukes back in there to see if he can lead a a game winning drive and give him more experience. And I think the, the Saskatchewan crowd, the Saskatchewan environment, that stadium, this is a great place for Cam Dukes to get some work. He got a lot of work in Winnipeg. Same thing. Great stadium, great fans, great atmosphere to be in. It's the closest thing you can get to that Grey Cup environment. That playoff environment is playing at Winnipeg or at Saskatchewan. So I'm expecting to see Cam Dukes get some extended time in that game. All right, let's get into our injury report. Uh, not too different uh, for the Argos from from what it's been. So we've got Deshaun Allen, who was limited today after not... Uh, practicing yesterday he's got that leg injury I think you continue to sit uh Allen I don't think he's going to play this week uh Robertson Daniel Curry the Gittins Jr. appearing on the injury report they're not going to play this week uh Daniels limited uh after practicing full yesterday was limited today you sit DeVars Daniels he had his game last week last week he had a chance to sort of rev the engine a little bit get some get some run had a fantastic game sit, Daniels. That's fine. He can he can play next week for a half, uh, but I, I wouldn't get him out there at all. John Haggerty uh, went full each of the last two days. He's been recovering from that knee injury that he seemed to uh, like tweak uh, in Hamilton and then came out after that. Uh, that would be huge to get him back in, not just from the global player perspective, uh, because Tiggy Sanko is, is still probably going to be out with that hamstring injury, but Um, I I think to have that option, to have BD get his holder back to that just makes me feel better. I get so nervous every time Ungerer catches a ball, I get nervous that that he's going to get hurt and won't be able to hold Um, because that for me, like that, I don't know, that's all I think about when I'm when I'm watching a skill position player as a holder. Uh, So him coming back would be would be massive. Uh, Not that BD hasn't done an amazing job. We've talked about that. He has, but uh, I look forward to getting him back. Uh, Jamie Harry was limited today. That's a little bit concerning. They are a bit thin, but this could be the week that Jamal Peters comes back. He went full each of the last two days. And I think I probably, if you're feeling good about his level of health, and from what I gather, I think he probably would have played last week if it were a meaningful game, if it were a playoff game. So I think maybe Jamal Peters comes back this week and then you can let Jamie Harry rest. And, you know, he's got um, limited with an Achilles injury. Let's let's just take it easy on that and have, have Peters come in. And then uh, Jordan Williams was limited yesterday, went full today with a calf injury. That's another guy I'm more than happy to sit. Um, you've got Jones. He's doing a great job. Let him play. Get Williams back to full health. So that's the Argo situation. For Saskatchewan, this is it. All hands on deck. They. We'll talk about that in the great preview in a second, but like they, this, this is the end of the line. They have a bye in the last week of the season. This is their last game of the season. So anyone that can play... Is gonna play. And I think the biggest question marks you're looking at Johnson on the defensive line. He went full today after missing yesterday. And he's needed. Like they have to have him. And Derek Moncrief, who didn't play last week, probably comes back in. I'm assuming at I'm assuming at boundary half, but who knows? Like Moncrief's been all over the place this year. I really like Moncrief. I know he he got a lot of bad press after the BC game. I I don't think the blame actually fell on his shoulders, but Moncrief's a guy that I think immediately improves their defensive secondary wherever they put him. I like him at Sam, but I think they're going to stick with Rivas at Sam. Probably put Moncrief at at uh, boundary halfback, um, but that's big for them. And so. Uh, Albright also uh, is, is a big deal. He hasn't practiced the last couple days. Uh, Lawther w- was able to practice full today. And I think that's basically the key guys that we're looking at on Saskatchewan's injury report. But if they can go, if anyone can get in a full practice at some point, or even string together a few limiteds in a row, expect them to go for Saskatchewan. Because, yeah, it's, it's the end of the line. All right, let's get into the game preview, JB. Uh, what does this game mean? Uh, we know it doesn't mean anything on the sta- in the standings for Toronto, but does the fact that this means a lot to Saskatchewan impact the Argos in any way?
1: Uh, no, no, I don't think it does. I think I think trying to to increase the number of wins. I think that if you could, if you can, you know, you're you're kind of fighting with history in terms of the total wins on the season that. That That would be something I think that they would look to, um that the players would, not the coaches, but I think the players would would look at that, and you don't get many opportunities to to write yourself into a record book, um, you know, for a number of victories
0: in a season. So I do think that that drives them a little first Saskatchewan, to explain how like why this game is so big to them, if you look at the standings, it's them in Calgary. like this is the last playoff spot every other playoff spot's been decided and the order's been decided everywhere else but like the West is uh, that's not necessarily true actually Winnipeg and BC are still technically fighting for the one spot but that's pretty much done in the East we know Toronto's one Montreal's two Hamilton's three that's done we know there's no crossover and in the West Winnipeg and BC BC could overtake Winnipeg but Winnipeg would have to lose out BC's only got one more game and and it's this this weekend against Calgary The real question is Saskatchewan-Calgary. This is Saskatchewan's last game of the season. They're up by two points right now on Calgary, but Calgary has the tiebreaker. So if Saskatchewan wins, beats Toronto, Calgary can still get in, but they've got to beat BC and then Winnipeg. Now, Winnipeg may be resting starters in that that last game, which is going to, like, I can only imagine the rage. If Saskatchewan loses against Toronto... Calgary loses against BC, and Saskatchewan fans have to sit and watch Winnipeg-Calgary and Winnipeg playing like nobody. Uh, they, are, they are not going to have a nice evening. Like Imagine that being what clinches Calgary's playoff spot. But like we said with Toronto, that's not Winnipeg's fault. They should be resting guys if they, if they clinch first. That's the smart thing to do. As soon as you clinch first... Your job's done you start you start resting guys where you can, so this is big because if Saskatchewan loses to Toronto, then all Calgary has to do is win one of the last two, and uh, yeah that's there's a there's a pretty good chance that uh, they'll bring something against Winnipeg in that last week when it probably doesn't mean anything to the bombers so yeah this is a this is this is it for Saskatchewan. they need this win. It's time for OCDC. OCDC is brought to you by the Business Barbershop and Spa. They invite you to experience a premier premiere, a licensed men's grooming lounge for hair, face, and body care. Celebrate they celebrating ten years in the Kingsway this year. You've got to check them out. Go get your haircut. At, at the Business Barbershop and Spa, it's very close to Royal York subway station, less than a 30 second walk from from Royal York uh, in the Kingsway. It's a great place to go. You've got options for haircuts, shaves. When's the, have you ever had a shave like in a in a barbershop? It's like the best thing in the world. Just to lie back, you get the hot towels, uh, have the shave done. I've had that done at, at uh, the Business Barbershop and Spa. Love it. Uh, and the haircuts are fantastic too. So make sure you check out the Business Barbershop and Spa in the Kingsway. All right, JB, I'll go first. Uh, offensive side, we're looking at the Saskatchewan Rough Riders first. This is tough. Like, trying to scheme against the Toronto defense is not easy. And I don't know if... I don't know if Saskatchewan has the quarterbacks to work their way slowly down the field. We know that's a way to, to attack Toronto, is by taking, taking five yards at a time, working your way down, you know, running screens and and, and quick screens and stuff. I do think you have to work those in. I still like that against Toronto. And I think Saskatchewan can run screens and quick screens just fine. It's the completion percentage issues that they've had with the sort of mid-range routes that I'm not sure they can pull off. And so what I want to see them do more of, which they don't really do a lot of, is RPOs. I think there's an opportunity for that, especially because they haven't shown that a lot. RPOs this week passes over the middle, but not just... Not slight adjustments or 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 um, or hots. Like I, I want called routes over the middle, not something that the quarterback and receiver has to be on the same page with, because they haven't shown the consistency to be able to do that. And it, you know, it's again they've had they've had moving pieces all season long, and so designed routes over the middle, off play action, RPOs with glance routes and things like that. I think that is how Saskatchewan puts up points against Toronto. And I think they have to hope that they break a couple. I think they're hoping for a couple busts at some point as well. But I think that's the way that I would plan my offense if I'm Kelly Jeffery looking to put points up on the board against the Argonauts. What is your uh, Rough Riders defensive plan, JB?
1: Well, uh, I think, you know, depending on who on who's playing, um, I, I do think that you you have to you have to take away the deep pass from Kelly i i mean you just he loves the deep dagger pass um you have to force him to to take the underneath and see if that will you know if you will get too impatient so i you know i have definitely have have 3 deep um you know or or like a two man shell but like i have deep safeties you just can't let anybody get behind you um, ever, and just give give up the underneath, give up the running back check down, um you know, basically say if you you know if you can if you can put together an eight play drive or a nine play drive, but they just have not shown any interest in doing that, and I think defensively you're always trying to make offenses do what they don't like to do um so with with the the deep coverage i'm i'm looking to to keep those dagger passes under control and uh you know running back wise just the the physical effort of fighting a j olette for an entire game just seems to be beyond uh you know much like you know my other team uh winnipeg uh it's really hard to to handle a battering ram for four quarters, and the line just gets worn down uh, and then kind of can't can't muster it in the fourth. Um, I do think there's also a dynamic of getting behind, and it's harder for a line to keep a running game in control when they're not close to winning. Uh, I do think that mentally, Sometimes that factors in, but it really hasn't changed for how I would attack Toronto. I think you have to run blitz on first down. You have to try and keep Olette under under four yards per play. I think if you can keep him at three, um, you're probably going to win. And if you've got to keep Kelly from throwing 40-yard touchdowns.
0: It's amazing how far the Toronto run game has come because, and you and I aren't, particularly fans of running to win in the CFL, then there's still, there's not a lot of evidence to show that you need to run to win in either the NFL or the CFL. And yet Toronto, I I agree with you. I think that is the recipe. Like Toronto's run game has changed my perspective a little bit. Like what we've seen this season, the way they've been able to, it's the way they've, like you mentioned in, in that segment, the way they're able to exhaust teams in the first half and then just there's nothing you can yeah, do Yeah, and, and the
1: resources that you have to dedicate to it um, obviously is going to draw. It's a zero-sum game when it comes to defense. So if, if you have to, you know, fill the box to keep AJ under control, uh, that's going to leave guys one-on-one. And that's a problem when it comes to covering deep pass.
0: Switching to the good guys, uh, looking at Toronto's offensive plan this week, I I think there's actually a perfect storm because I think there are a few things that I believe Toronto still needs to work on a little bit, and they happen to coincide with things that will probably work pretty well against the Rough Riders this week. I think you're going to see a very aggressive Rough Riders defense from Shivers. I think think you're going to get a lot of blitzes. I think you're going to get man coverage. We've seen him do that against... Against Winnipeg, against BC, against the the better teams in the league, they've they've rolled the dice on defense. You've seen cover zeros and 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 some some others like just some strange stuff. Some that's worked, some that that hasn't. I applaud the effort. I like gambling um, in terms, especially when it's not my team, and I can just sit and watch uh, on my TV like that. That's that's the best time. Uh, it's the time that I like coaches gambling the most. But they will, and so. I think knowing how much this game means to them, and I think the defense is really going to put it on themselves, I think this is the week for misdirection and deception. Not trick plays, but all the other stuff. So running back screens, that's something I want Toronto to work on more. They've got, AJ Lett is perfect for running back screens because he's such a good pass protector and he's got great hands out of the backfield and we know what he does with the ball in his hands. So all those things combined to... Uh, suggesting that Toronto should be making running back screens a a big part of their game. They've also got a lot of uh, linemen with good mobility who can get downfield and block. So middle running back screens. I love the running back screen to the left. If you can get Chad to roll right a little bit and then just dump it over that aggressive line that's going to be coming. You're going to see Dean and tights and and there's going to be pressure from everywhere. Uh, I think the screen game will work. I want to see counters. I wouldn't even mind seeing traditional counters. Like I don't even mind seeing like the GT counters where you're pulling guard and tackle, like old school counters, not under center or anything like that. You still run them out of single back shotgun. Their counters tend to be off of like jet action. But I think you can just do your regular two steps this way, cut back this way, follow your 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 guard as he kicks out, and then follow your tackle as he turns up. I think that that's uh, another play that the Argos can use in their playbook. We know they're going to need to run the football effectively in the playoffs when the weather starts to turn. Uh, Counters, screens, these are great. And then the last thing with the passing game, Kelly's got to use his eyes, move people around. Again, you're going to see an aggressive ball hawking sort of rough riders secondary that are going to be trying to do too much. Look to your left, throw right, look to your right, throw left. Simple stuff, but these are all fundamentals that they can work on. And for Toronto's sake, hopefully they're able to build a lead in the first half and then they can comfortably sit whoever they want to need to, whoever they feel like they need to sit and then uh, go in and watch um, the second and third string players uh, handle the second half in Saskatchewan. What is your Toronto defensive plan to stop the Riders, JB?
1: Well, obviously you have to, special teams wise, take care of Alford and keep Alford in the box. Um, he can be a game changer. They did a great job the first time. Uh, it's a great challenge, so I think number one, you're you're looking to do that defensively. Um, Bain, <laughs> uh, sort of uh, appropriately named, was a huge problem for the Argos in Halifax, and you know I think you're you're trying to. To limit him. Uh, I, I would go so far potentially even to double him occasionally. I think he's earned that. He he's become a pretty a pretty dominant receiver. Uh and Dolagala, keep him in the pocket. He he runs more than you might expect. Um make him one dimensional, keep him in the pocket uh, and double bane, I think I, I would probably for this game is what I would look to do is is let somebody else beat you in the air other than Bane, and don't let Dolagala's legs beat you. And if he can, you know, if he can from the pocket without his number
0: one guy uh, beat you, then, then you tip your hat. They do have a pretty good receiving core. Guys that have kind of been up and down. Like I expected more from Schaefer Baker this season. I know he's you know he's been injured and stuff. Uh, Picton, I really like as well. Emelis, I think is a fantastic receiver. And so they they do have options. I like I like Morrow out of the backfield as well. And I do like Dola Gala. I uh, but I know the I know the pain that also comes with Dola Gala. I, he's he can be amazing. He can be fun to watch. He can be everything you look for in a quarterback especially like prototypical quarterback. And I do like him running the ball, like you said. But yeah, he can have games too where you're shaking your head. And we've seen a few of those recently. Although I don't really put, I don't know if I put any more than one of these last few. They've lost so many games in a row. And I can't even keep track of how many they've lost in a row. Their streak right now is like six, six games in a row. They've lost seven games in a row since Labor Day. They've lost every yeah. game since Labor Day. Well, um, they,
1: and uh, I was noticing on TV, they talked about uh, their record, in september over the last couple of years is I
0: winless i know down, i mean it's down an, the stretch it's
1: a, well i mean again that's why i think there might be there might be uh there might be uh, a, a drink sent
0: coach's way and you just imagine though like what would this team have been like this season with trevor harris if he doesn't get injured early in the year what does this team look like because and again, I don't want to put this on Dola Gala because I don't think I don't think these losses are all Dola Gala's fault. But I think Trevor Harris allows you to overcome difficulties. Trevor Harris means you can make mistakes on defense. You can have um, gaffes on offense and drop balls and 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 poor reads uh, uh, from receivers. And and he can he can make up for that. Um, and Dola is not that guy. He's you know he he may be one day, but he's not that guy and so you you do wonder like for saskatchewan we kind of forget like they went through everybody like dola gala i don't think he was even on the roster in the first week of the season i think he was the fourth quarterback in the first week of the season um they had shea patterson and and fine and and harris like those were the three guys and dola gala ends up being their quarterback but yeah what would the saskatchewan team have looked like had things gone a little bit differently had that injury to harris not occurred um, you know, you 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 do wonder, but uh, yeah, they're they they can pull it out. They've got the offense to do it. Uh, their defense is a little hit and miss, but we've seen them play great games. You go back to that Labor Day win over the Blue Bombers; they played really well. Dola Gala played really well. They they pulled it out in the clutch. That was a, that was the overtime finish, right? Like that was that was intense. So if they can find that level of energy again, this this could be a good one. All right, JB, what is your one thing for this week?
1: Uh keeping uh Bain Jr. under 80 yards receiving. I think that uh no touchdown under 80 yards. I think if they're able to do that, they have uh they have a terrific
0: chance of winning the game. For me, I want to see Demonte Coxie get the DeVaris Daniels treatment from last week. Last week, clearly, they wanted to get DeVaris the ball. I think Coxie needs a little bit of that engine rev this week, because I think next week, uh, maybe he, you know, maybe they go with your plan. Maybe that's what Dinwiddie's thinking, and they rest a lot of guys. Coxie and Kelly need to find that magic again, because he hasn't really had it. I don't think he's scored a touchdown since they clinched against Montreal, like September 15th or whatever that was. Um, It's over a month ago. And he had so many huge games before that. It's not like he's been invisible, but he hasn't been the DeMonte Coxie that is like getting everyone's attention and, and being played on uh, on highlight shows and stuff at night. So uh, I think this has to be the DeMonte Coxie game. My one thing is six catches for Coxie. And uh, if they do that, I think, again, win or lose, I think if they do that, then they've achieved something uh, in Saskatchewan. How does this one end? What is your prediction for this game?
1: Uh, to be honest, I think this is similar to Winnipeg. I think that. Um they they may come out in surprise early, um, and then transition to to not caring as much. I mean, I'm curious to see how much potentially getting to 16 wins and being the all time record uh, appeals. But I I do think it's going to be very similar to the Winnipeg game. I think uh, Saskatchewan probably ends up coming out on top um, over Toronto. I I would say like maybe like. Uh, uh 2518.
0: I could totally see that happening. And it really depends. Like, we still don't know at this time who's playing. But I, I think I, I could totally see that with Toronto maybe having the lead at half and then uh, putting a bunch of guys in. Saskatchewan with their with their playoff lives on the line, coming back and, and taking it. Like, that could happen. But I just kind of see it going the other way in the form of, like, an implosion. I, and I think... I think you might see a pick six for Toronto in this game. I think the I think Toronto's defense, as much as as much as the offense may rest, just the way the CFL rosters are set up, you can't get like a hundred backups in there. It doesn't work that way. And Toronto's defensive secondary is really good no matter who's in there. And if Jamal Peters returns as well, which I think he probably will, I think there are opportunities here. Toronto's defense is dangerous. I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a pick six. I wouldn't be surprised to see multiple turnovers. I think they're going to put up sack numbers. They they put up nine last week. I don't think we'll get to that number, but I wouldn't be surprised to see six, seven, and a couple turnovers in there too. So I'm going to have Toronto 34, Saskatchewan 20. I do think it's tight at some point, And then there's a pick six and Toronto rolls. All right, JB, it's time for Put Me Down for 20. (laughs) And before we get into this segment, I just want to remind you that while gambling can be a fun way to enhance your sports viewing experience, it's important to do so responsibly. Set a budget, never more than you're happy to lose, and uh, an amount you view as the cost of entertainment. And of course, if anyone you know or yourself develop a a problem with gambling, you can always call the Ontario Problem Gambling Helpline, 1-888-230-3505. All right, JB, you still have Golden Fleeces remaining. Uh, you had a big split last week. You had BC winning between 1 and 13 points, which actually had you up on the week. So you went from 20 Golden Fleeces to 22.5 Golden Fleeces from your original 200. And you're now just trying to make it to the end of the season at this point. Um, i had a slightly down week last week i lost my i had hamilton to win and they were so close to doing it and they just couldn't get it done at the end i had also toronto on the spread so i split but i ended up losing overall on the juice so i'm at uh, 298.86 golden fleeces all right jb where are you going with your meager fleeces this week (laughs) well as i grind to the end here um
1: I'm going to take Calgary. Um, oh, sorry. I wanted to take Calgary. I was, I was almost uh, seduced by the juice. I'm going to take BC at home winning one to 13. Sounds like uh, a confident, points. a confident gambler. Yeah. I know. Take, take well, Calgary. No, I mean, wait. Yeah. Well, this is, this is where I'm at. Unfortunately, uh, I'm going to take the favorite. I'm going to take BC at home. Uh, plus 120, still decent juice for BC at home, to be honest. Um, um, they don't. <laughs> they don't. Only totally seem to know what to make of that game. Uh, so yeah, I, I I like BC at home to to put the pressure on Winnipeg. And I think if you have a shot at the
0: one seed, you you're gonna go all out. And that's lines to win between one and thirteen for one twenty. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's not bad. Um, I'll 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 kind of counter that when I get to my picks. But let's get to your let's get to your Argo bet first
1: uh yeah and for the argos um i i'm gonna take saskatchewan on the money line
0: and we don't have those numbers yet because i think the the books are waiting to see who's starting who's playing i'm sure they i'm sure they want no part of this game because no. uh you know who knows at or, this point. or this league or the, or maybe this <laughs> league but we'll see how we'll see how this plays out but so whatever the money line is you'll take saskatchewan on the money line and i think that will be Like I'm certain that will be positive no matter who's starting. I think the Argos will be favored. All right. uh, I'm going to have 10 Golden Fleeces on Calgary. I I don't actually, I don't really feel like they're going to win, but I love the value on that. Just like you were tempted. I'm going to do it uh, plus 390. uh, I've got them at. uh, So I'll put 10 Golden Fleeces on Calgary. And I guess that'll become my my pick for this week. Uh, Although I do kind of think BC wins that game. My Toronto bet. uh, We don't have the numbers yet. Whatever it is, I am taking the over, and I think it's going to be achieved because of defensive scores on the Argos' part. So Toronto, Saskatchewan, over whatever that number is, and we will post those numbers uh, on Twitter, uh, just like we have the last few weeks when we haven't uh, had the Argos lines. I I do think too.
1: I I feel the the our our wager for the pickem will be the uh, the other guy has to
0: buy. Uh, a flight of of the different drafts from from the bar yeah like we maybe we can do that cuz last time we were at something in the water they had uh we we saw we saw some pretty impressive uh flight boards coming out yeah um, i think
1: i think a flight board is definitely the wager for the pickem
0: okay so maybe we'll do that now what's well hang on a second though like you may win the pickem but yep. you are going to be entirely out of golden fleeces do we not have no, a wager on no, golden, golden fleeces, fleeces is
1: for entertainment purposes only <laughs> for- I think we made that very clear.
0: All right. Okay. That's fine. I feel confident enough in my picks over these last two weeks that that we'll be fine. So I will take your wager. Uh, Let this wager frankly play. Is that the line? (laughs) Yes. All right. Let's get to our CFL picks. So last week, we were both three and one. Uh, I am now 48 and 27 on the season. JB, you are 49 and 26 with a one game lead. And this is after you were down a few midseason, but you have had a a stellar fall with a couple of four out of fours and three out of fours. So uh, yeah, let's see if I can make up uh, some ground here and tie you up this week. Only three games on the docket. Uh, Let's start with Let's start with BC and Calgary. I guess I'm taking Calgary because uh, I have them as my bet. Um, I kind of feel weird doing it any other way.
1: Well, I mean, you could uh, you could hedge, but that would be a coward's choice. Yeah, no, so that's I, not I, the way I'm going to so, go. No, so. I
0: salute your your courage. And so you've got BC on that one. And we already know the second one. I've got uh, Toronto and you've got Saskatchewan. Yeah,
1: big, big, big moving, moving day weekend, I and think. And so with these.
0: this leaves you with your Elks, JB, <laughs> uh, in Winnipeg. It It
1: does. And indeed,
0: I will not be choosing my
1: Elks uh, with uh, CFL All-Star at quarterback. I'm going to take Winnipeg at home. I think they want to lock up one. I know sometimes they stub their toe, but I, I do think they take care of Edmonton at home.
0: I thought about this one a lot because Chris Jones is excellent against Zach Caleras for whatever reason and for any of Chris Jones' failings and for any of... Zach Caleros' amazing abilities. For whatever reason, Chris Jones is very good against Caleros. They, if Caleros stays in the game in Edmonton, Edmonton wins that game, I think. They were up 22 nothing. Caleros had nothing going on at all. He got injured. And Brown came in and, and scorched Edmonton, and that was the end of the game. It crushed them uh, in the end, and so there is that. But I just think, like you said, I think there's too much here. They desperately want to be able to do what they please in the last week of the season. Get guys healthy. They've got some guys banged up, like you know, Shone, for example. Like, they want to make sure that they can be in a place where uh, they can only they only need to play who who they need to play. And so I do think Winnipeg's going to win this one. I think it's going to be a tight game, though. Uh, I was tempted actually to to take Edmonton in the and the spread for my for my wager but I think I'll stick with Winnipeg. Uh and we di- I did the numbers so I, I know and actually it amazes me but I had a few people asking me if I did the numbers um and so thank you for those of you for the two of you who are still listening to this podcast uh some uh 55 minutes in here uh thank you um These are the numbers that we have for our CFL picks. So going from West to East, uh, BC, uh, we are both, JB, we're both 12 and four picking games that BC's involved in. Edmonton, I have a hard time with. I obviously think Edmonton is much better than they are. I'm eight and eight in Edmonton games. You're 12 and four in Edmonton games. You know who Edmonton are. Uh, Calgary, uh, I've got that down. I'm 10 and five. You are seven and eight. That's your worst one, actually, uh, Calgary. Yeah, I, I just like the Stampeders. And uh, Saskatchewan, I'm 12 and four with, you are nine and seven. We're both 12 and four with Winnipeg. Uh, We don't really know what to do with Hamilton. I'm eight and eight and you're seven and nine. We are, our best one is Toronto, which makes sense. It's the team we cover. We are both 13 and two with Toronto. And Ottawa is my worst. I'm six and 10, which is really disastrous when you think this is just a pick I'm six and 10 with having any idea what Ottawa will do. You are nine and seven. And we are both eleven and five with the Montreal Alouettes.
1: Well, I feel like it's amusing that the Hamiltons' record is almost identical to our record. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Doesn't yeah, make well, any, you know, like that that just goes to show how their season does not make any sense at all. It doesn't. You should not get an eight and nine team wrong that many times.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's that's not. I know. I, there's. I look at these numbers. And I'm like, how, like how? Why am I still? Why do I still get tempted by Edmonton? But um, yeah, there's something about it. This Saturday, JB, four o'clock Eastern Time in Saskatchewan. It is actually, and I, I say this without joking, this is my favorite CFL city to visit. I really like Regina. I think it's a great stadium, a great atmosphere uh, pregame. Um, I think uh, this this game is going to be, I, I think, a really good one. Well, that will just about do it for us on this pregame walkthrough edition of the Exodus and Argos podcast. For JB, this has been Grant saying so long, and may all your pre snap reads be good ones. I'll see you.